Chapter Thirteen, Part One of Bellamy, or the History of a Scoundrel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Bellamy, or the History of a Scoundrel, by Guy de Maupassant. Translator unknown. Chapter Thirteen madame de marelle part one autumn had come the duroys had spent the entire summer in paris leading a vigorous campaign in la vie francaise in favour of the new cabinet although it was only the early part of october the chamber was about to resume its sessions for affairs in morocco were becoming menacing the celebrated speech made by count de lambert sarrazin had furnished duroy with material for ten articles on the algerian colony la vie francaise had gained considerable prestige by its connection with the power it was the first to give political news and every newspaper in paris and the provinces sought information from it it was quoted feared and began to be respected it was no longer the organ of a group of political intriguers but the avowed mouthpiece of the cabinet la roche mathieu was the soul of the journal and duroy his speaking trumpet Monsieur Walter retired discreetly into the background. Madeleine's salon became an influential centre in which several members of the cabinet met every week. The president of the council had even dined there twice. The minister of foreign affairs was quite at home at the Duroise. He came at any hour bringing dispatches or information, which he dictated either to the husband or wife as if they were his secretaries. After the minister had departed, when Duroy was alone with Madeleine, he uttered threats and insinuations against the parvenu, as he called him. His wife simply shrugged her shoulders scornfully, repeating, become a minister and you can do the same until then be silent his reply was no one knows of what i am capable perhaps they will find out some day she answered philosophically he who lives will see the morning of the reopening of the chamber, Duroy lunched with Laroche Mathieu in order to receive instructions from him before the session for a political article the following day in La Vie Francaise, which was to be a sort of official declaration of the plans of the cabinet. After listening to Laroche Mathieu's eloquence for some time, with jealousy in his heart, Duroy sauntered slowly toward the office to commence his work, for he had nothing to do until four o'clock, 
at which hour he was to meet madame de marelle at rue de constantinople they met there regularly twice a week mondays and wednesdays on entering the office he was handed a sealed dispatch it was from madame walter and read thus it is absolutely necessary that i should see you to-day it is important expect me at two o'clock at rue de constantinople i can render you a great service your friend until death virginie he exclaimed heavens what a bore and left the office at once too much annoyed to work for six weeks he had ineffectually tried to break with madame walter at three successive meetings she had been a prey to remorse and had overwhelmed her lover with reproaches angered by those scenes and already weary of the dramatic woman he had simply avoided her hoping that the affair would end in that way but she persecuted him with her affection summoned him at all times by telegrams to meet her at street corners in shops or public gardens she was very different from what he had fancied she would be trying to attract him by actions ridiculous in one of her age it disgusted him to hear her call him my rat my dog my treasure my jewel my blue bird and to see her assume a kind of childish modesty when he approached it seemed to him that being the mother of a family a woman of the world she should have been more sedate and have yielded with tears if she chose but with the tears of a dido and not of a juliette he never heard her call him little one or baby without wishing to reply old woman to take his hat with an oath and leave the room at first they had often met at rue de constantinople but duroy who feared an encounter with madame de marelle invented a thousand and one pretexts in order to avoid that rendezvous he was therefore obliged to either lunch or dine at her house daily when she would clasp his hand under cover of the table or offer him her lips behind the doors above all georges enjoyed being thrown so much in contact with suzanne she made sport of everything and everybody with cutting appropriateness at length however he began to feel an unconquerable repugnance to the love lavished upon him by the mother he could no longer see her hear her nor think of her without anger 
he ceased calling upon her replying to her letters and yielding to her appeals she finally divined that he no longer loved her and the discovery caused her unutterable anguish but she watched him followed him in a cab with drawn blinds to the office to his house in the hope of seeing him pass by he would have liked to strangle her but he controlled himself on account of his position on la vie francaise and he endeavoured by means of coldness and even at times harsh words to make her comprehend that all was at an end between them then too she persisted in devising ruses for summoning him to rue de constantinople and he was in constant fear that the two women would some day meet face to face at the door on the other hand his affection for madame de marelle had increased during the summer they were both bohemians by nature they took excursions together to argenteuil bougival maison and poissy and when he was forced to return and dine at madame walter's he detested his mature mistress more thoroughly as he recalled the youthful one he had just left he was congratulating himself upon having freed himself almost entirely from the former's clutches when he received the telegram above mentioned he re-read it as he walked along he thought what does that old owl want with me i am certain she has nothing to tell me except that she adores me however i will see perhaps there is some truth in it clotilde is coming at four i must get rid of the other one at three or soon after provided they do not meet what jades women are as he uttered those words he was reminded of his wife who was the only one who did not torment him she lived by his side and seemed to love him very much at the proper time for she never permitted anything to interfere with her ordinary occupations of life he strolled toward the appointed place of meeting mentally cursing madame walter ah oh, i will receive her in such a manner that she will not tell me anything first of all i will give her to understand that i shall never cross her threshold again he entered to await her she soon arrived and seeing him exclaimed ah you received my dispatch how fortunate yes i received it at the office just as i was setting out for the chamber what do you want he asked ungraciously she had raised her veil in order to kiss him and approached him timidly and humbly with the air of a beaten dog 
how unkind you are to me how harshly you speak what have i done to you you do not know what i have suffered for you he muttered are oh, you going to begin that again she stood near him awaiting a smile a word of encouragement to cast herself into his arms and whispered you need not have won me to treat me thus you might have left me virtuous and happy do you remember what you said to me in the church and how you forced me to enter this house and now this is the way you speak to me receive me my god my god how you maltreat me he stamped his foot and said violently enough be silent i can never see you a moment without hearing that refrain you were mature when you gave yourself to me i am much obliged to you i am infinitely grateful but i need not be tied to your apron-strings until i die you have a husband and i a wife neither of us is free it was all a caprice and now it is at an end she said how brutal you are how coarse and villainous no i was no longer a young girl but i had never loved never wavered in my dignity he interrupted her i know it you have told me that twenty times but you have had two children she drew back as if she had been struck oh georges and pressing her hands to her heart she burst into tears when she began to weep he took his hat ah you are crying again good evening is it for this that you sent for me she took a step forward in order to bar the way and drawing a handkerchief from her pocket she wiped her eyes her voice grew steadier no i came to to give you political news to give you the means of earning fifty thousand francs or even more if you wish to suddenly softened he asked how by chance last evening i heard a conversation between my husband and la roche walter advised the minister not to let you into the secret for you would expose it duroy placed his hat upon a chair and listened attentively they are going to take possession of morocco why i lunched with laroche this morning and he told me the cabinet's plans no my dear they have deceived you because they feared their secret would be made known sit down said georges he sank into an armchair and she drew up a stool and took her seat at his feet she continued as i think of you continually i pay attention to what is talked of around me 
and she proceeded to tell him what she had heard relative to the expedition to tangiers which had been decided upon the day that laroche assumed his office she told him how they had little by little bought up through agents who aroused no suspicions the moroccan loan which had fallen to sixty-four or sixty-five francs how when the expedition was entered upon the french government would guarantee the debt and their friends would make fifty or sixty millions he cried are you sure of that she replied yes i am sure he continued that is indeed fine as for that rascal of a laroche let him beware i will get his ministerial carcass between my fingers yet then after a moment's reflection he muttered one might profit by that you too can buy some stock said she it is only seventy-two francs he replied but i have no ready money she raised her eyes to his eyes full of supplication i have thought of that my darling and if you love me a little you will let me lend it to you he replied abruptly almost harshly no indeed she whispered imploringly listen there is something you can do without borrowing money i intended buying ten thousand francs worth of the stock instead i will take twenty thousand and you can have half there will be nothing to pay at once if it succeeds we will make seventy thousand francs if not you will owe me ten thousand which you can repay at your pleasure he said again no i do not like those combinations she tried to persuade him by telling him that she advanced nothing that the payments were made by walter's bank she pointed out to him that he had led the political campaign in la vie francaise and that he would be very simple not to profit by the results he had helped to bring about as he still hesitated she added it is in reality walter who will advance the money and you have done enough for him to offset that sum very well said he i will do it if we lose i will pay you back ten thousand francs she was so delighted that she rose took his head between her hands and kissed him at first he did not repulse her but when she grew more lavish with her caresses he said come that will do she gazed at him sadly oh georges i can no longer even embrace you no not to-day i have a headache she reseated herself with docility at his feet and asked 
will you dine with us to-morrow it would give me such pleasure he hesitated at first but dared not refuse yes certainly thank you dearest she rubbed her cheek against the young man's vest as she did so one of her long black hairs caught on a button she twisted it tightly around then she twisted another around another button and so on when he rose he would tear them out of her head and would carry away with him unwittingly a lock of her hair it would be an invisible bond between them involuntarily he would think would dream of her he would love her a little more the next day suddenly he said i must leave you for i am expected at the chamber for the close of the session i cannot be absent to-day she sighed already then adding resignedly go my darling but you will come to dinner to-morrow she rose abruptly for a moment she felt a sharp stinging pain as if needles had been stuck into her head but she was glad to have suffered for him adieu said she he took her in his arms and kissed her eyes coldly then she offered him her lips which he brushed lightly as he said come come let us hurry it is after three o'clock she passed out before him saying to-morrow at seven he repeated her words and they separated end of chapter thirteen part one recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey